In the 1950s, quite possibly, arguably, the most Catholic place in the whole Western world was the French-speaking portion of Canada, Quebec. And of course, that area of Canada is very distinct from the rest of Canada. The English settled most of Canada, except this little spot, well, not so little spot, along the St. Lawrence River, where the cities of Montreal, of Quebec City, and that's where the French settled. And still to this day, if you go to road signs, and the, the primary language there is French. And so in the 1950s, and, and even in some ways to today, it was their Catholicism was so much part and parcel about who they are. And so in the 1950s, there's a poll in 1959 that somewhere between 85 and 90 percent of the total population was at Mass every single Sunday. You think about that, 85 to 90 percent, not just of Catholics, but of the entire population was at Mass every single Sunday. That it was so lively and it was, it was one of those places that you can look and it is Catholicism was part of the air that they everybody breathed. And as you might have guessed, things kind of fell apart. And by kind of, I mean they absolutely collapsed and the bottom absolutely fell apart from French Quebec. That to this day, now, about 4% of the population goes to Mass on Sunday. To think about, that's a staggering number. 85% to 4%. And of course you can talk about like, what happened? What went wrong? Where did this come from? Why? What was happening culturally? And I don't know the answers to those questions. But there is something that happened along the same time that this kind of decline in faith and this plummet of religious practice was this separatist movement in Quebec. So you, maybe some people remember in 1995, there was a vote whether Quebec should separate and gain its independence from the rest of Canada or whether it could, should stay a part of Canada. And it was a razor-thin vote, a 1% difference. So 50.5% of people said, stay with Canada. 49.5% said, let's go by ourselves. And so the interesting thing is, as many interesting things, one of them is as religious faith was plummeting, this political movement to separate themselves from Canada grew. That as something, as religion, which had given them meaning, which had given them life, which had given them something to look forward to, some common bond, as that crumbled, something else filled the place. This political movement to separate from Canada. And who knows, you know, it's maybe one of those chicken and the egg things. What came first? The collapse of the faith and, and then the rise of politics? Or what came first? The rise of politics and then the faith left. And it's hard to tell, but those two things happen simultaneously. And as that happens, and that's really the story of the 20th century, and even maybe leading up before that, that something has replaced the meaning that people found in their life by religion, and it got replaced by politics, and maybe got replaced by other things also. And that's actually where today's feast day comes from. Today's feast day of Jesus Christ, the King of the universe, recognizing his kingship, his lordship, was instituted in 1925 as Pope Pius XI kind of looks out at the world and says, uh-oh, we're going to have some serious issues. And it comes from the rise of communism and even the communists and the Marxist ideas kind of coming into the, into the Western world, but especially Russia. 
Where it's these political movements and political solutions to the world's problems that makes the Pope say, we've, we've got a serious issue on our hands. And so in 1925, when he establishes today's feast day, he says that it begins with individuals. As individuals, and he uses the word, individuals have thrust Jesus Christ out of their lives and his law out of their hearts. The evils of simply human ingenuity has come and overtaken things. And so he sees this, that as faith diminishes, something else is going to take its place. And it seems to be political. And we can look out and say, well, that's kind of, you know, that, that's terrible for French-speaking Canada. That's terrible for Quebec. Or even that's terrible what's happened in communism and, and what, what the ravages that's had throughout the world. But it does give us, I think, each and every one of us, a little bit of cause for concern to look out in the world and say, where are things going? Even in our own area. So you think, who knows what will happen over the next 10, 15, 20 years? But the way things look as you just drive around, there's a chance that in 20 years, we see these statues of Mary out in front of so many homes, which is beautiful and you love it. That there's a chance that in 20 years, you'll see more political flags and political yard steins than you will statues of Mary. That there's this chance, and there seems to be a growing movement as the yard signs, the flags, all of that, and maybe the two can exist side by side, right? Maybe there can be the statues of Mary as an expression of faith and hope, and the Blessed Mother's intercession can exist alongside of political processes. But it is where do we put our hope? Right, what are we going to see more of in 20 years as we drive through our beloved area? Yard signs and flags or statues of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Because it begins with each and every one of us individually. You know, we can look out and we can comment about what happened in other countries or even what happens here. But it begins right in our own hearts. It begins, do we let Jesus have kingship over our hearts, over our lives, over our souls? And the gospel that we have today shows Jesus vying for power. And this gospel that we're given is so beautiful because when we think of Jesus, the king of the universe, we think this vast array of people, of angels, of saints that are all part of his kingdom. But the gospel today is so small. It's just one interaction that Jesus has with a single individual, Pontius Pilate. He's not in front of 5,000 like he was when he multiplied the loaves and the fish. He's not in front of even just his 12 disciples. But it's just this one person he's working on his faith. Just one single person he's trying to draw into his kingdom. And Pilate opens the interrogation, opens the dialogue with, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus, rather than giving him a straight answer, or rather than getting defensive or even trying to, to be direct and just give him a yes or no, he says, do you say this on your own or have others told you about me? He's trying to get Pilate to say, what do you think, Pilate? Do you believe I'm the king? Because he's trying to get him to believe that he's the king. He wants Pilate to come to faith. He wants Pilate to entrust his life to him. He's not worried about the trial. He's not worried about suffering and dying. This one person right in front of him, he wants him to become a believer. And so Jesus brings him this incredibly personal question. Do you believe? Or is it what others have told you about me? Is it just, are you just repeating what you're hearing around you? And that's a question for all of us. 
Because this comes to us personally also. Do we believe that Jesus Christ is the king of the universe? Or do we simply believe what other people have told us? Maybe that's what our parents have told us. Maybe that's what a priest has told us. Maybe that's what a catechist told us or a grandmother. Do we believe that Jesus Christ is the king? Or do we simply repeat what others say about him? And of course, Jesus and Pilate are not done with their discussion. As they kind of talk about this kingdom, Jesus says, my kingdom does not belong to this world. It's also as if he's saying to Pilate, I'm not a threat to you. You've got your kingdom, Pilate. It's fine. You kind of run your political sphere. You run here. I'm not coming to overthrow you. I'm not coming to take down what's good in your life, what you've built, what you've worked for. I don't come to destroy that. My kingdom is of a whole different level, a whole different playing field. I don't come to dominate you, Pilate. I come to save you, to bring you into a kingdom that's of a whole different world. And that's for us too. Jesus, the king of the universe, doesn't come to destroy our lives. He doesn't come to say, that's bad, that's bad, get that out, you're done, let's move on. But he comes as this king of mercy, this king of love, to give us a kingdom that we could never even imagine to bring us to light, to truth, to peace that we could never even imagine just the beauty, the splendor of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. So he doesn't come to destroy. Even in our own political sphere, Jesus Christ doesn't come to supplant it. He doesn't come to put the Pope as the monarch of our country. He comes to make himself the king of our hearts. And so this dialogue continues and it ends with the very line, Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. It's his last plea to Pilate. He's talking about his own voice. The Pilate's hearing with his ears right before him. Listen to my voice. I come to bring truth. I come to bring peace. I come to bring light. I come to bring everything you could ever desire. Hear my voice. And the lectionary cuts it out, but Pilate doesn't have any of it. You know, he has this hardness of his heart, this stubbornness that he's only worried about his own kingdom. He's only worried about looking good amongst the rest of his subjects or keeping keeping the peace, whatever, even if it means the death of Jesus. And so that question is put to all of us as Jesus has this very personal dialogue with each and every one of us. Which kingdom will we serve? Will we serve the kingdom of Jesus Christ? Will we give our allegiance? Will we give our lives to him? Knowing full well, he doesn't come to destroy us. He doesn't come to ruin our lives. He might ask us to suffer a little bit. He might ask us to get rid of those things in our lives that aren't of him. But he comes to bring us so much more. He comes to bring us truth. He comes to bring us peace. He comes to bring us mercy. And so we ask that personal question to us. Do we believe this, that he's the king on our own accord or simply repeat what others have told us about him. So as we look out to the world and we see maybe some real causes for worry, some real causes for who knows what, you know, what that worry comes from, whether it's in the church or it's in the politics, our country, our communities, even our families. The first order of business is the same conversation that Jesus has with Pontius Pilate to surrender ourselves to Jesus Christ the king of the universe, who comes to bring us all things that are good. And in a few moments, as we stand to profess our faith in Jesus Christ and his Father and to the Holy Spirit, it's almost as if we're standing to make that allegiance once again. 
to stand up and say, I believe that Jesus is the true king of the earth, that Jesus Christ and his father who sends him and the Holy Spirit that animates all of our lives is the center of life and everything else flows from it. So we come here today to worship our king, to thank him for all that he does for our lives and to surrender ourselves once again to Jesus Christ, the king of the universe.